0: You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, if you're watching us live today, it is Pentecost. Pentecost is the day that symbolizes the arrival of the Holy Spirit. After Jesus had ascended up into heaven, then the Holy Spirit came and began to fill the apostles and any who would believe in Jesus thereafter. Typically it's 40 days after Easter, 50 days after Jewish Passover. And that's today. And let me just say with a lot going on in our culture, a lot going on in our country, that the church needs to be the one to lead the way when it comes to reconciliation. But that only happens because of the power of God's Holy Spirit. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to talk about Jesus The role of the Holy Spirit is to point people to Jesus. That's his role within the Godhead. And so today, even though there's so much going on in our country, we're going to specifically continue to point you to Jesus. We're in a series called Tension, and I know a woman who grew up in a church and believed God, but... Then she walked away from God in her early adulthood and she had a lot of questions. She had a lot of doubts and she wandered from the truth and then she figured her doubt made it impossible for her to ever wander back to God and thought she was impossible for her to come back to God. And She even tried to back it up with Bible verses. I know a young man who said, I don't have to worry about things. I just always trust God. I never doubt. Doubt is bad. And you may not believe it, but it's almost as if this young man took his head and he stuck it in a hole in the sand. And as he walked away, I just began to think to myself, man, life is gonna shake you, bro, if you never deal with the issue of doubt. Christians who don't know the tension of, I believe, help my unbelief, might not actually be Christians at all, or at least they might be very infantile ones. Our faith is one of brutal tensions Not everyone can express this, but every Christian knows it, and we feel it in our guts. It was spoken by Barnabas Piper. We are looking at the importance of tension. And we've been doing that through this series, that we started off saying that you can know God, but God's mystery. God can do what God wants to do. God has ideals for how we live our lives and and how we should be righteous, but thank God he uses broken people. The Bible is all true but not everything true about life is in the Bible. That you can become a Christian in a moment, but it'll take you forever to figure out what that commitment looks like. Your beliefs matter, but haven't we learned this week that people matter more? The church, you can enjoy church, but you can also enjoy living in the world, and today we're gonna talk about these two. That trust can lead to stronger faith, but also I want you to know that doubt can lead to stronger faith, that both trust and doubt can lead to stronger faith. Os Guinness said this, he said, if you haven't examined faith, you should be unafraid to doubt. If doubt is eventually justified, you were believing what clearly is not worth believing. But if doubt is answered, your faith has grown stronger. It knows God more certainly, and it can enjoy God more deeply. In other words, no matter how strong your faith or my faith is, at some point you and I may experience doubt. But instead of doubt being a sign of weakness, doubt can actually be something that causes us to dig deeper into our relationship with God and can make our faith even stronger. Write this down. Doubt is not the enemy of faith. Doubt is not the enemy of faith. It's part of the process for every person who has faith that doubt is part of that process. It's not the enemy. Most of us have heard about Jesus, but we've got doubts, but doubt isn't always a bad thing. Doubts lead to questions. Questions lead to answers. Answers lead to truth. And Jesus said, the truth will set you free. All of us doubt. I doubt a lot of things. I doubt those phone calls that happen that tell me that the IRS is somehow looking for me. They're fishing for identity theft. I doubt that they're really the IRS. I get those social media requests to forward an issue or a statement to prove somehow to everybody out there that I agree with it. The shame threat is that if I don't forward it, then something bad is gonna happen to me like a piano is gonna fall on my head in my office. I doubt that. I doubt that life was some cosmic accident. The mess in your teenager's bedroom doesn't evolve to organized design without intelligent intervention. You can give it all the time you want, you can carbon date it, but it simply is not going to happen. I doubt political promises. I doubt that power without checks and balances won't corrupt even the best person. And some of you have doubts. You have doubts about God and about the Bible and about church and about life. You doubt your marriage will make it. You doubt whether your friends will be loyal. You see how they treat others and you just think, I don't know if they're gonna be loyal to me. You doubt whether you could ever get out of debt. You doubt if you could ever be a good man or a good woman. You doubt, could I ever make it or be successful? And some people think even if Jesus claimed to be who he said he was, you doubt that knowing him will make a difference in your life because some of you hang around people who say that they know Jesus, but you look at their life and you wonder how in the world are they any different from anybody else? Here's why you need this sermon. When in doubt, focus on who, not how. We're fascinated with how. We wanna know how the universe happened. We wanna know how things work. We're fascinated with how people got the secret of their success. And we're fascinated with how. How did that magic trick work? How did you get your kids to actually be polite? How did you get to the next level? How did you get her to marry you? Instead, you ought to ask questions that help you get to know the person instead of just trying to figure out what their trick was for the secret of their success. When in doubt, focus on who, not how. Well, write this down if you're taking notes today. How reaches for certainty. It reaches for certainty. Certainty is this effort to to seek the removal of faith. That's why people want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt on anything. They want to remove it so it doesn't actually have to require faith on their part. They don't actually have to make a decision. The decision has already been made for them. And that's what the question, how, does. It seeks the removal of faith. I mean, let's be honest. How trusting and romantic and relational is a prenuptial agreement. It's not very romantic and relational. If you make a person sign on the dotted line before you give them a ring on their finger, it's independent. John Calvin said this, surely while we teach that faith ought to be certain and assured, we cannot imagine any certainty that is not tinged with doubt or any assurance that's not assailed by some anxiety. People always wanna know. They wanna know 100%. But let's be honest, how many of us really know 100% about many things, there's always a tinge of doubt. Barnabas Piper said this, often the intellectual obstacle to belief is a convenient excuse for rebellion. And that's what we see behind a lot of people who hide behind doubt. I have doubts. And so they say, I hide behind them. And what they're really doing is saying, I just don't want the accountability That if I have questions about God, and if I get the questions I have about God answered, I don't want the accountability that that truth would bring into my life. And so what does it become? Doubt can become a convenient excuse for rebellion. Why? Because behind every question that you and I ask is the issue of trust. It's the issue of trust. That's why we ask questions. And so we shouldn't just ask the question, how? What we should do when we're in doubt is ask the question, who? Who requires trust and vulnerability? When you and I ask the question, who, who are you, God? Who are you, Jesus? When we ask those questions, it's highly relational. It's a, it requires independence. It requires faith. If you are married or you're in a significant relationship, the beginning questions are not just, hey, how do you do your job? The beginning questions as you develop that relationship are, who are you? What's really going on and how you think and how you act and how you feel? And can I be safe to show who I really am with you as you show who you really are with me? You're not just asking questions, how? You're not saying, how can we get married? How can we make life work? Those questions come in time. But before those questions, you're always gonna ask, who are you? And who am I? And am I safe to share who I am with who you are? It requires independence it requires faith. Well, Jesus at this time that the scriptures pick up that we'll be looking at today in Mark chapter eight, he has just fed 4,000 people who were listening to him teach. And as he did it, it was a miraculous feeding. He took the gift from that was little, a little bit of food and he multiplied it miraculously enough to feed at least 4,000 men. And I'm sure there were others. There are women and children and others. When they gathered all the food up, there were seven baskets full of food left over. And now the disciples and Jesus get alone. They, they break away from the crowd. They get in the boat with whomever might else be in the boat. And that's where the story picks up as we look at the true account in Mark chapter 8, verse 14. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And they discussed with one another and said, "Mm, it's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you still talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000 people, how many basketfuls did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000 people, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said, do you still not understand? Do you still not understand? See, when you and I don't understand, it's like we're in the dark. We're in the dark. It's a, a form of blindness. It, it might be an intellectual blindness or it might be a relational blindness. We just don't understand the dynamics of everything going on. And Jesus is challenging the faith of his disciples here, not the how of did they, did they pack enough bread. What he's challenging is their faith. And there's two different types of blindness. The first is if, if you're taking notes today. The first is physical blindness, actual physical blindness. We call this one dark. A person who is blind, they, they live in what we would describe as seeing people as being in the dark, that they don't know what colors look like. They, they don't know what, what people and, and other things maybe look like in their full detail. I don't know if they're able to see degrees of light or whether it's completely dark, but they have limitations. We call physical blindness dark. The second type of blindness is spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness. We call this one doubt. Doubt doubt. When you're not sure, when your faith has been questioned, when it's been brought into the dark a little bit, and, and there you find yourself at a point of doubt. How could a loving God allow something like a pandemic to happen? How could a God allow people to take their beliefs and hate one another with them How could a loving God do that? And we begin to get stuck in doubt. Jesus realizes that the lack of understanding of his own disciples has kept them in doubt. They aren't seeing the big picture. So it was a miracle, feeding a huge number of people both times. But the results were different, either 12 or 7. And what God is doing here is he's building a track record of trust in himself that He took a little bit and he multiplied it and there were 12 basketfuls left over. He took a little bit and he multiplied it and there were seven baskets left over. And he's saying to them, listen, the miracle was the multiplication, but the point is not how I did it and how much was left over. The point is who did the miracle? When in doubt, focus on who, not how. Jesus is the common denominator and they just weren't seeing it. He's trying to say, guys, it's me. It's I'm the one who did the miracle both times, and and it's not how I did it, it's who did it, it's me. And and the disciples are hung up. They're hung up on the fact that they think, man, uh, Jesus is upset because there's only one loaf of bread in the boat. Let me just ask how convoluted that thinking is for a minute, because didn't Jesus just take a couple loaves and multiply to feed thousands of people? Couldn't he even just take one loaf and multiply it to at least feed the people who were in the boat? I think so. But they weren't seeing it. Our world thinks in hypotheses. Maybe this happened this way, maybe it happened that way. And what happens is oftentimes the world is spiritually blind because they're looking for all the how to to define something to remove the issue of faith in their thinking. But God wants to reveal who did it. And effective leaders know in any organization that if you do not have clarity, you must change your system of communication. So Jesus has been talking to them. He's like, do you guys still have no faith? You have eyes, but don't see. You have ears, but don't hear. I got to change up what I'm doing. I got to change up what I'm saying so that you understand. And in verse 22, it says that they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Why would they beg Jesus to touch him? Because he had touched other people who were blind. He'd also made mud and put it on uh, from spit and put it on the eyes of a person. Well, what happens in verse 23? He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Immediately, they get off the boat. And the first thing they do is interact with this blind man. And Jesus has just lectured them that there were two feedings. There was a feeding of 5,000. There was a feeding of 4,000. That there were these two miracles that happened, and yet they still weren't seeing the who of who Jesus actually is. And now he comes to a blind man. And Jesus gives this blind man two degrees of healing. The first time he spits on his eyes, puts his hands on him, and the man begins to see something. Shapes moving around, pe- people moving around. He's trying to make sense of what he was beginning to see, but it wasn't clear. It was like when you go to the optometrist and they take all your contacts out or your glasses off and you're looking at those letters and you're like, they look like letters moving around, but I don't know what letters those are until they you know, put the machine and do all the different things in front of your eyes. Suddenly you begin to see clearly, well, Jesus is doing a two-step miracle because he's done two miracles and the disciples still don't understand. Two degrees had to lead to sight. And clarity for the doubt and the blindness of his own disciples. So again, verse 25, once more, Jesus put his hands on men's eyes. His eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Verse 27 says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do the people say that I am? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah and still others say, well, one of the prophets, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You're the Messiah. And for the first time we're seeing in this one chapter, chapter eight of the book of Mark, that the disciples have gone from doubt and a lack of clarity When it came to who Jesus is, to understanding him completely, that he is the God man, the only one that ever existed, that he is the Messiah, the long forecast, long awaited promised Messiah. And that is the person of Jesus. His confession showed that they had moved from doubt to belief, that they no longer were were thinking what everybody else might think or projecting what everybody else might project, but they were resolute in understanding who it was they were following. They believed Jesus. What do they do? They move from how it was all done to who did it? Jesus. Jesus healed at least two other people in Scripture And each time he healed them, he healed them differently. Do you know why I believe that Jesus healed blind people differently every time he healed blind people in the Bible? It's because I believe that people would focus, if he did it the same way every time, they'd focus on what the trick was, what the secret was, what the, you know, the secret mystical whatever Jesus brought to the table that they might project and think, trying to keep it away from faith, that Jesus did to make these people well. Jesus did it differently every time because people need to understand it was he who healed, not a technique that helped heal. He is the healer. He was the one who did it. Well, who was Jesus? Well, obviously he was the guy who spit on a blind man's eyes and actually healed them. But if I can right now, Jesus, I just want to say to you that You spit and put your hands on this man to heal, but later you yourself are spit upon and you are crucified and you are beaten and you are mocked and you had people put their hands on you and you had people brutalize you and you were in an occupied nation as a a minority in that nation and you were brutalized, Jesus. And you understand And you didn't do something disrespectful to this man that that you weren't willing to go through yourself for the sake of loving people. And God, you're amazing for that. That's who you are. You're phenomenal. You're the God who would humble himself and come to earth and be abused by the beliefs and the hands of sinners so that you might save some. That's who you are. When in doubt, Focus on who, not how. Charles Spurgeon said in one of his great sermons, the strong are not always vigorous, the wise are not always ready, the brave not always courageous, and the joyous not always happy. And some of you say, well, wait, Dave, Dave, I can't believe unless I have certainty. And I think Jesus would say to you and to me, focus on who, not how. And some would say, well, I doubt that God could actually fix my brokenness. It's too big, it's too broken. If I can't fix it, I don't even know that God could fix my brokenness. And again, I would say, focus on who, not how. And some of you this week are thinking, I'm not sure that God, through the church, can fix the societal injustices around us. I would say they're brutal, they're awful but we need to focus on who it is that can heal and not how it's all gonna be done. We wanna be part of the solution, but it's gotta be God's Holy Spirit, the one who came on the day of Pentecost to come in and dwell the believers so that the, the filling of God's spirit would be with every believer. And when every believer begins to treat people with love and respect and begin to point people to who Jesus is and not how all this will be done, we will begin to see change that God brings in our nation and Lord willing in our world. See, sometimes I, just being honest, I think sometimes it'd be easier if God would just spit on me There's things I want to change in me. There's things you want to change in you. And wouldn't it be a lot easier if God would just spit on you and then somehow you'd suddenly be healed? Like you wouldn't be addicted anymore. Like God would just spit on you and you wouldn't have that uh, distress anymore. God would spit on you and your anxiety would go away and God would maybe just spit at you and you would be able to forgive suddenly and then God would spit on you and you would be able to let go of hatred and anger and rage and malice and that God would be able to do that. Truth be told, I'm more likely to spit at by distaste for a sacrificial life or a servant's heart or something as little as sometimes just giving up my right to be right. Thankfully, the truth and the power of the Holy Spirit is not based on my feelings and they're not based on your feelings. On putting aside momentary feelings of uncertainty, C.S. Lewis said this, He said, faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. And that is why faith is such a necessary virtue. Unless you teach your moods where they get off, you can never be either a sound Christian or even a sound atheist. Why? Because emotions change. Do you realize that when you and I have doubts, we need to ask. We need to ask questions and we need to ask well. Asking well also means knowing when to lay our questions down. Because sometimes our questions become a barrier to faith. Our questions of how become the barrier to seeing Jesus for who he is. They become the barrier to forming a relationship with the God who loves you, a God who created you, a God who sacrificed himself on the cross for you. And there are times that asking good questions means knowing when to lay all our good questions down and to come to the one who can forgive you. One time I wrote this. Uh, feeling like I'd strayed away from the Lord and just being in one of those times where you feel distant from God and you're like, I need to come back to you. And I wrote, my struggle without you is lonely. So I cling to your control. And as I work through these feelings, please help me to let go when I wanna know why. Because sometimes our question becomes the barrier. God, if you don't tell me why this happened, then I can't believe you. And what happens, we make it emotional. And there are times that we, even if we knew the answer to our question, we may not actually even feel better. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? But sometimes those questions can stand in the way of a relationship with the God who loves you and who wants to save you, right? Often in despair or tough times, we think that God needs to fix it somehow. God, show me how you're gonna fix this. But when you get alone with God and when you get in the word of God and you're asking God, God, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know how this is going to ever fix. I don't know if even you can fix what I'm going through right now. But you get together with God in his word. You suddenly realize that what you needed is not the answer to the question how. What you need in your heart is who is the author of this word and this God who created you and put his Holy Spirit in you. You didn't need an answer. You just needed. Him. You came with a question, but peace came into your life because of relationship with Jesus. You just needed to be reminded who He is, who is really on your side, who's the one who knows how to work things out as He knows best. And listen to me, sometimes you need other people around you so that when you're in a season of doubt in your life, that you need a brotherhood or a sisterhood around you who will say, listen, it's okay for you to doubt, but let me let you know that we will carry you along with our faith until your doubt comes to resolution, until you come back to him, until your doubts subside. And we all need brothers or sisters or brotherhood or sisterhood who will walk with us so that when we face the toughest challenges of life, they say, listen, we will carry you on our faith until your doubt subsides. Some of you have friends who are not saved, family members who are not saved. You yourself might be watching and you know I've never given my life to Jesus. I'm not saved. Well, I would tell you three things and I would tell you if you're a saved person to tell non-Christian people three things. Number one, tell them who it is who saves. Before you get to how it's done, tell them who it is that it's this Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Second, tell them why Jesus did it. Why would he sacrifice himself? Why did Jesus do that for them? And third, tell them then how to be saved. Tell them how. How? A new believer wrote us and and said this. This new believer said, I used to not understand what the big deal about Jesus was, and I only lived for myself. But then I met Jesus Christ, and I saw that he would actually love someone like me. And that truth helped me see clearly who he really is. And isn't that what God does? God shows us the condition of our life first. He shows us who we are. He shows us the condition of our life. And then he shows us how we can be saved because we say, I tried and I can't do it. I need something beyond me and my reasoning. I need to be willing to come into relationship with you. And in faith, you take that step toward Jesus. And you find that he's holding out the keys to eternal life. The Messiah who has come loves you. And he is offering you eternal life through relationship with him because of his work on the cross, not because of your or my effort to try to justify ourselves. And maybe that's you today right where you're watching and you realize I need Jesus. I don't have it all together. I don't know where it all is. I don't have answers to all my questions, but I know that I need my sins washed away. I know that I need forgiveness. And if that's you right where you are, just pray a prayer like this after me. Just pray, Jesus, today I give you me I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, that you were brutalized to wash my sins away, that you were buried, but also that you rose to new life and you conquered death. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins, to wash me as white as snow, to make me a new creation on the inside. I believe you. And so today I give you me. And right now, if you made that decision, just write in the chat to say, I made that decision. Just connect with us as the host will tell you to connect with us very shortly. But God is celebrating. We are celebrating. Angels in heaven, it says celebrate when a sinner, one who's wandered, comes to Jesus. A sinner comes to believe in faith in Christ and comes when your sins are washed away. You don't have to fear death anymore. God is celebrating. We are celebrating with you and believers in the room, as you're watching even right now, I just wanna say if you're in a season of doubt that you actually process through and you work to get some of those questions answered, you bring them before God, he's not threatened by your questions, but also that you be willing to say, hey, I need to let my questions know where they get off and I need to come back to God, I need to humble myself and come back into relationship with him. He's helped me see partially, but until I have relationship with him, I'm not going to see clearly and full. And so re-surrender, re-commit, re-walk back into relationship with Jesus, invest in his word. And I think that the Holy Spirit who came at Pentecost will begin to open up the scriptures to your life situation right where you are today. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, Visit our website at sungrove.org. dot org